Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 530. I'm joined this week by Susan Wacoma, and it's such a lovely chat. You're going to adore this one. I last had Susie on in 2017, and since then, they've just been absolutely killing it. Had so much to talk about and so much to catch up about, but just in general, this the same as the last time we chatted on the podcast just such a positive vibe and such insight and warmth and connection honestly you you, you're gonna hear that i'm beaming throughout this conversation speaking of which big love to everyone who's um been showing love for for the recent episode with shaggy um and last week's episode with josh Pugh, both fantastic if this is your first time tuning in go and check out two episodes with Michaela Cole, who Susie worked with on Chewing Gum. Paparese Adu's been on twice, who was in I May Destroy You with Michaela Cole. Yeah, go and check out the first episode with Susie. Just, we've got a back catalogue of amazing guests. Go and feel your blooming lovely boots. We are brought to you as ever by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. You can get merch there. Buying merch supports the podcast and gets you looking cool as fuck, basically. That's what we're doing here. It's a wonderful combination. It was recently the 10-year anniversary of my Fringe show. I screened it on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash If you go over there, if you go to videos and then collections, there's a music section that's got all the different streams I've done about my music. There's live gigs on there. There's all sorts of good stuff, and that's all free. But but the reason I mention this is in the web store, you can get the two-disc DVD set of my Edinburgh Fringe show that includes Tim Key interviewing me about the Fringe, includes a long conversation with previous guests, Moose Rockwonga, Polar Bear, and Kay Tempest. So, And it's only, I think, a tenner. A tenner for two discs. Blimey. Dig out your old DVD player or Blu-ray player or PlayStation or Xbox or we'll play it. Um, Yeah, give that a look. And if you want to support the podcast just kind of effortlessly, head over to patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip. That's where for like a dollar a month or $2 a month or something, you can just pay the wages of the people who work behind the scenes on this podcast who help out. You can pay me we've put out an episode a week every week for coming on for 10 years now and that takes a lot of effort no matter you know if it's only an hour if i I thoroughly enjoy the conversations as i do week in a week out that's still a lot to do anything every week for 10 years is a lot and they've always been free obviously there's adverts in there that's another way the wages are paid if you don't want to buy merch and you don't want to subscribe to the patreon then listen to Teddy adverts. If you skip the adverts, your favourite podcaster does not get paid. So I really see it as for those who I don't support on Patreon or wherever else, the least I can do for this free episode of of entertainment is to uh, is to sit through an advert. And the beauty here is I'm in charge of what I allow to sponsor the podcast. So it's all stuff that I believe in. Like I turn down loads of stuff. You will see weeks or months where there is no sponsor because the sponsors that have come in haven't been a fit haven't been things i'm happy with therefore for those months i may not be earning anything you know 
and there's still wages to pay. When did we, how did we get onto this subject? Let's get on with the podcast. This is a joy of a conversation. It's worth n- noting as we do in the episode, but I'll note it now as well because there's going to be a few like this. At the moment, if I have any actors on, we will not be talking about essentially any American productions, anything they've worked on on Netflix or any of the companies that are currently being st- or ha- having the strikes against. The strikes are ongoing. I support them. S- S- Susie supports them. So w- whilst there's loads of stuff, more stuff we'd love to dive into, we're not go- going to because that kind of breaches the rules of the strikes. So until an agreement is settled... A settlement is agreed, an agreement is come to. <laughs> Those things will not be discussed. Yeah, but thankfully there's loads we wanted to talk about and we really get into it. Let's get into it. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 530. That's a lot of episodes. This is Susan Wakoma. Strap in because it's a beautiful episode. I'm joined today by Susan Wakoma. How are you? Hey, I'm all good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. We were just saying it's been so long. The lo- you were on the podcast in 2017. Oh my god! <laughs> it was just coming off the back of Crazy Head and yeah. Chewing Gum. A lot has happened in the world, mm-hmm. in your career, mm-hmm. in life. <laughs> So first things first, how are you? Are you good? Are you okay? Where's your head at? Where's my head at? How am I? Um, Today, right now, I'm really good. It's kind of a weird junction in my life because a lot of things that have been on the boil are kind Mm. of coming to a head now. So I feel a bit like my brain is on fire a little bit, but Mm. it's exactly what I have wanted for a long time. So I'm handling the busyness in a way that I think you do better when you're 35 as opposed to when yeah. you're a young'un, when you kind of have yeah. like tools and you've done lots of therapy and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, like, yeah, a lot of things are happening, but I, I seem to be touch wood navigating it like a champ. <laughs> I love it. I love to hear it. And it's a funny one. It's an interesting subject as well because age gets such a bad rub mm-hmm. in our society and in media G- getting older mm-hmm. like as you can see i've got a far grayer beard it than when we last spoke absolutely i'm fine dope. with it i love it exactly i'm all about that but it's really interesting you mentioned that because i know when i was doing music with my music career the fact that we started at like 25 26 yeah. I genuinely think meant we had a better career because if we had been doing that at 18 or 19, we would have been a fucking mess because yeah. we would have been going, the, the 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 messy human I was on the streets of Essex at 18 and 19 yeah. would not have done well on the road yeah. as well as I did at, at 24, uh, 25. So how do you feel about kind of things coming or accepting that things happen at the right time? Because mm. this is an industry that is slow moving, yeah. um, loads going on, Behind the scenes. I mean, I should mention mm. that. Another thing that's happened since we last spoke is I've moved into acting and script yes. writing and all these things as well. So yeah. I'm now, I, I realise I'm suddenly referencing it as as our industry yeah, all no, of a sudden. No, no. But, but it's, 
It's interesting, isn't it? Because again, it is. It's slow moving, but and that can be really f- frustrating, right? When mm. you're trying to get stuff made and trying to get stuff done, but more often than not, it does come when you're ready. Yeah, I no. think so. I think that's always been the case with me. I, I'd say one thing that has been helpful about my nature mm-hmm. is that I haven't ever been impatient. Yeah. Weirdly, I've spoken about this a few times in interviews. When I was a teenager, like when I was an actual teenager, like 15, 16, the people that I sort of got, well, the person I got obsessed with was um, Helen Mirren. It was like a yeah. two-year run obsession of this woman. Yeah. And it was around the time when she won the Oscar for the Queen, I think. And But I'd loved her for a while. I, I really loved Crime Suspect. And I watched yeah. that TV show way... I mean, I was way too young to watch Prime Suspect, to be perfectly honest. But my parents <laughs> just sort of let me have free reign. But um, I was obsessed with her. And the reason being was that she was older. That mm. was why I thought, God, you know, also me romanticising being older. I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, when you're older, you'll be settled in yourself. And you're not worried about people liking you and you'll have all your friends and you'll, you'll have your family. And then having that basis of kind of not necessarily security, but just kind of knowing who you are, then having success on top of that felt like a happier, better mm. place, even when I was a teenager. And yeah. so I've always associated age with success and a kind of peace. And I know that that's very not the case, especially in the world that we live in now. So when it came to acting, I was, you know, I grew up around, you know, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. Everybody had to be like mm-hmm. 15 and a star. So that's, <laughs> why, that's why it was kind of weird that even though I was amongst this very ageist way of youth equaling success, I sort of knew for me that it would probably happen later. I always knew that. And I always felt that I never felt in a rush for anything to happen, really. And so I think that that has served me well in our industry. It has served me well as a black woman in this industry, because like you said, I've had some really great opportunities. I've had Crazy Head. I've had, you know, really cool shows, Year of the Rabbit. And yeah, I've had disappointments. I've had shows get cancelled. Year of the Rabbit, Mm. we were, we got a second series and that was pulled because of COVID. Like Channel 4 Mm. couldn't afford it. Crazy Head, really complex kind of demise of that show where you had one channel saying, we don't want to do it. And then another broadcaster saying, we do. So it was just, I've had all these like, what would normally happen is this trajectory, you know, one plus one equals two. And yet that's never happened to me. And whilst disappointments are real and Mm -hmm. it has been really slow in comparison to a lot of my peers and to a lot of my friends, but like, what is that? Because friends that I thought were further ahead of me, that that expires, particularly if we're talking about women and we're talking about age. So I had a lot of girlfriends in their twenties who were like smashing it. And then the moment you're 26, you're like done. Whereas 26 was the age yeah. I started doing loads more. Oh, I was going to say, you're really l- lucky in a way to have had someone like Helen Mirren that caught your eye and was an inspiration. Because I was going to say, there's been a buzz since moving into acting. Part of the buzz for me has, it's been the foot. But it's been the first industry I'm in that I'm excited to get old because yeah. it means I would have, I feel every job I do, I learn more. Even the ones that do have disappointments and failures, yeah. I feel I've got better and better and better. But that's the privilege of being 
a male in yeah. this industry, a white male in this industry, because you've got your George Clooney's and yeah. all these older guys who keep going on more and more, but w- women for a long time, and I think it is changing now, but women for a long time, it was, as you say, the young, beautiful starlet yeah. who has 10 years, maybe 20 at a push, at a push. to... <laughs> To, to, to make it happen, and then they're out the door. So yeah. I think people like Helen Miram, and you mentioned being a black woman. I think mm-hmm. we've now got an absolute set of g- generals in this industry yeah. of b- older black women who yeah. are absolutely smashing it, who are the best in the business, mm-hmm. and are becoming, you know, box office hits. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's beautiful to hear you had that guidance early on yeah. as such, even if there's some luck in there to kind of oh. not make you go, well, I'm too old now. I've, yeah. missed my, I've missed my chance. Well, you know, what? I think what since since we last spoke, I think one of the, the big things I've realised is, is the lie about women getting older is, mm. you know, which I never believed, obviously, because I was obsessed with Helen Mirren. But like that sort of, oh, you're over the hill, you're going to miss your chance, you're going to even, even romantically, you're going to be on the shelf. And yet I... I feel the way that my brain is working. I feel the way that I'm able to just handle life. And across all kind of areas of my life, I've just got better. I've even got fitter. Like, I'm sexier than I've ever been. And so that lie of going, oh, God, no, you're 24 now. Like I was like, oh, my God, it's a lie. Because if we think that, if women, very specifically, if women think that, that we've got a small window, small amount of time, what you do is you settle and you make choices out of desperation and scarcity. But actually, if you know at 24 that you will get better and through the trials and tribulations, you will learn and you will have your war stories. And those are the things. They're not the things that make you withered. They're the things that make yeah. you better. Once you know that, then you're just like, well, sky's the limit. And I think that's been yeah. like the big thing is that I really feel like it is only going to get better. That is irrespective of like society and what that, you know, you're having to fight against a lot of crap. But in myself, just when I'm alone and I think of myself, even just like the last time we spoke, like infinitely, infinitely just like doper, I think. This is beautiful to hear, Susie, and I can back you up on this because you. I don't think you know this, but a couple of weeks ago, I walked past you in London. Did um, you? And, and you were on the phone, and I saw you at a distance, thought, oh, I'll say hello. You were on the phone, <laughs> and I was like, no, this woman is b- bossing it. You, <laughs> like, you seemed in a rush, but you didn't seem overwhelmed or busy, so I just stood back and admired. I was like, no, this is a woman who's fucking in control and killing it. I'm not going to interject myself to go you're right do you know Hello. what this is so funny i've had so you were going friends. over a bridge it was either tower bridge or, or london bridge yeah and you that's were just, my manner you were busy you were on something and i was like <laughs> fucking you do it mate you do it that's and so then funny. this podcast came in like a day later so i was like this is fucking perfect the serendipity of it this is so but funny yeah. because i've had quite a few even just like i went to the theater last week um, i was trying to find my mate and i was walking around the national disorder and once i finally found my mate daniel he was like do you know that you've got you've got a wiggle? I was like, no, I don't. He was like, we all stopped as you walk past us, past the window. He's like, you've got a strut. I was like, wait, I did not know you that. Were styling across that bridge in complete control. I loved it. Um, well, I mean, there's loads I want to talk about. Yeah. I want to talk about Taskmaster. Yeah. I want to talk about Never Have I Ever because yeah. Deborah Francis Wright is a literal living podcast legend. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about loads of stage stuff, but I want to quickly say to yeah. the audience, there's a load of stuff that we're not going to talk about mm-hmm. because we both very much support the writer's strikes 
and the and the actor strikes yes. up the unions up the workers so awesome. there's certain stuff on platforms that are, are being struck against at the moment that mm-hmm. that we're not going to go into but 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 there's one thing that if we couldn't have talked about it mm. i would have pushed this podcast back until right. and until after the strikes but we can because it was a bbc production it's a british thing cheaters Yay. was it was it was one of my favorite shows of the year it's one of my favorite things the bbc have ever done oh wow it was so good i think your girl callie cook is a straight up <gasps> icon in everything at the moment and you yeah. guys in rules of the game yeah. you guys in with in peacock with my boy zipper yeah, i just yeah. think i love seeing people thrive but how was that show to do because mm. i was b- buzzing and like we've met once but i was weirdly proud watching it because oh, it's hilarious but it also poses some really tough questions yeah. but also to my knowledge it's the first first thing you've done that's a very se- se- sexual mm-hmm. and sexy program yeah um, yeah yeah and it nailed it, all of it. I thought all of it. I thought everyone's characters, every moment felt so real, felt so genuine, yeah. even when there's bits that are meant to be uncomfortable or cringy. Yeah. How was that to be part of? How was that for excitement versus nerves yeah. on, I mean, on a project like that? I mean, gosh, I the alchemy of, of Cheaters, like when it all came together, was just really beautiful. I think I was... So this was just before lockdown, so mm-hmm. January, February before lockdown when it came through. And again, this sort of relates to the older thing. I think if cheaters yeah. had come through my door when I was 25, I'd be so caught up in like the sex and, you know, yeah. the nudity yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. And how do I look? And da, da, da. by the time, I mean, you know, I don't want to go into too much detail about my life, but like I'm 35. I've had sex, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, and, I've, yeah. and, and I've had sex in all sorts of versions of myself and sizes of yeah. myself. And so, like, that isn't a mystery. To, well, also, that's not just a given with age, it's just me as a person. But, like, all of that had been sort of demystified. And so there was, for me, a real comfort and relaxation about who I am sexually. Because it is yeah. you. Like, yes, it's a character, it's a script. But it is you that has to do it. You can't necessarily yeah. just park because it's you. You you have to be in a certain place in yourself. Yeah, I to, think so. To accept to not be scared off to by a thing like that, you know. That, yeah. So, and I think yeah. that it just met me at a time where I just really was. I, I, you know, I you know, there's a lot to talk about body positivity and all of that. I for me, the thing that I want to aim for is just neutral. Like I have friends who mm. have chronic illnesses and you know one of my dear friends Steph has dealt with chronic illnesses for longer than she was healthy she got really ill when we were 18 and so I've seen how you know how sometimes your body can let you down so there is a lot of talk of kind of like body acceptance and body positivity but sometimes sometimes it does do your head in you don't feel great and all of that Mm. and so I, I carry that with me and so when it came to reading the script I just kind of felt at that time in my life, I felt very neutral about my body. I was like, it functions. It does all the things that it does. And so, yeah, yeah I feel like I can tell the story without me getting in the way. So there was that. That was like the big thing. But like, I was getting really disillusioned with television and the scripts. And and I just didn't think they were, that my taste, I didn't think they were good enough. I think that in the advent of, like sort of touching on what, you said about the strikes, you know, and the advent of everything changing. I just felt like there wasn't the investment in stories mm. and in shows and the backing of it. And the reason why Cheaters was unlike anything else is because we made it without a broadcaster. So BBC, right. like, a, like an indie film. So we yeah. all went away and made it. 
with a production I didn't company. Know that was the case. Yeah, That's amazing. With a production company, Clark and Well, with a company called Anton, BBC Studios, so not BBC. Anton are great. Anton back loads of yeah. good mid mid level, mid budget stuff. Yeah, there. really fantastic. Yeah. So we went off and we made it, which meant that everybody, you know, our director Elliot, who is just the sickest director, um, yeah. my, one of my favourite directors ever. And we just went off and we made the thing that we wanted and mm. then shopped it and said, who wants it? So that's the reason it. why it's so close to what, you know, Ollie, our writer, wanted, what we wanted as actors, because we created the thing, cooked it, made it, edited it, and then just went, who wants it? Who wants this? You can't go in and change it. We've decided we're confident. So it was a real, it's, I, I don't know t- television that's been made like that, as far as I'm aware. And so that was what was exciting. At that point in my career, yeah. I was like, I don't really want to do bog standard stuff I, because I'm doing a lot of my own stuff. I'm writing a lot. And so then the comparison, like for the last four years, I've been writing a film um, called Three Weeks, which I would, which I am going to direct and that would star in. And so for me, when TV shows would come in, auditions would come in, it, that was the bar. It was like, is yeah. this better yeah. than starring? Is this to take me away from this? Yeah. Exactly. And I, more and more of the That's things dope. I was reading, I was like, it's not, it's not. And that does mean yeah. you work less. It does mean that you you pass some things by, you go on TV, you watch a good show. You're like, damn, why didn't I go up for that? Oh yeah, because I'm, tr- I'm working on my film. Cheaters mm. was one of the very few TV shows that came in that I was like, pause everything. So that was why I loved it. It was made in a really unusual way. The format was crazy, 10 minute episodes. And yet they mm. feel like half an hour. It's wizard. That 100%. is so hard i cannot stress as a writer as well how hard that is to do so everything about it was a bit off kilter and i'm so i am genuinely really really proud really really proud of it it's one of my favorite things and shoot it was amazing i love it you should be and that's so exciting to hear the way it was done because i think again i'm having a similar thing where i've got a few projects that are in development Mm -hmm. and it's been that weird thing of seeing how at times stuck in its ways the film and TV industry yeah. can be. And what you described there with how you did Cheaters, that's how we, me and Dan Lissac did our first album. Yeah. We spoke to all these major labels, but we went, no, we're going to finish the record. Mm-hmm. And if you want the record, you can have the record, but we're not going to sign because we've had one single that blew up and yeah. then you're going to want to change and make who we are. We We turned down a lot of big opportunities to go, no, let's make our thing. And then it found itself in the right place. And again, I think there's also something really interesting that relates to the strikes there is it feels like you're in a good place as an actor off screen as such. Because I think this is an industry where it's so easy to get so honoured to Mm. be asked Mm -hmm. to audition for something rather than realising that we're the fucking key components. We're not the only components, but we're, we're key components in that. So it shouldn't just be oh, well, I have to accept it because yeah. they've asked me to. Like, it, It's a great honour. I love that you're going, is this good enough to take me away from what I want to do? Yeah. And at the moment, and not even good enough, is this the right project is it the right to take project? me away from what things, I want to do? Some things have come in and they and are no, great, not. but yeah. they're, not, they're not the right thing. But, you know, you know, what I acknowledge there is my privilege. You know, I've worked and I've done lots of different things and I've had really great opportunities and I've been lucky and I've been recommended and all that sort of stuff to get to a point where I go, okay, I don't need to worry so much about keeping the walls from the door. I absolutely did to begin with. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've got all these things in place. And if I don't have to go on something that's going to take me away from ultimately what I want to do, which is to create my own work, 
then I can. So it's all about acknowledging that privilege, but then using it. There's no point just Mm. having the privilege and then not using it. And the moments that I have gone back on my word, where I've gone, oh, no, actually, you know, for visibility, it's been a little while. I'll take this thing that's just got offered. I have been kicked in the face by, like, the rubbishness of it and gone, right, that's why I shouldn't. And I actually made a decision in April 2021 when I was in the middle of shooting one of these so-so projects where I called my agent and I said, I'm not auditioning anymore for anything. Like, I, I don't want to be. So people listening who might not get it, the way that it works now is that if a production is looking for to cast the part, they'll send out a, a, a breakdown of that character. It's a big email that goes out to all the agents and then their agents put up the actors who they think would be great for it. I said to my agent, we're not doing that anymore. Like anything that comes in, if people ask to see me, if people give an offer, we'll consider it because yes, do need to pay my mortgage and all of that, but I'm not putting myself up for anything. And yeah. that's been the case since April, 2021. I still haven't, haven't done that to step back and it's been it's been interesting seeing what's come in and also seeing what doesn't I've always maintained to my friends who are like oh god you're so busy I'm like if if this you know before I stopped auditioning I said if you saw the amount of auditions I get it's not actually that much yeah it's not actually that much I just make do and I have amazing agents who really pound on doors but um but yeah no there was just such a clarity and I think a big culprit of that was was lockdown I you know I had a revised my whole life you know I had to really kind of like a lot of people start from the ground up and really question what's the point because in the in all of that you look at entertainment and on one hand you're like gosh that was the thing that everybody went to everybody craved that music and and films and tv but actually there was a big part of me that's like yeah but like what what is it and so yeah I just Mm. I've had a real kind of a real change in how I approach everything but yeah, cheat. I don't. I think I'll be very spoiled by cheaters. I don't think I'll ever have an, a TV experience quite as as indie as that. Not in TV, yeah. no way. And that and that all makes sense now because it so beautifully touches on subjects of yeah. the different kinds of relationships, of the evolution of relationships. Mm. As you say, I guess kind of body positivity, but it never. No, yeah, it's, it, it never consciously addresses anything. It's, no. it's not like it's there going, oh, look, here's what relates. It's not got an agenda. It's just no. a story. Well, that's the thing. That's why I mean, like, it's sort of neutral about that. Like, I don't like none of yeah. the sex is gratuitous. It's just people who who have sex, who then have this connection that, you know, it's, and yeah. so many times when you see nudity and sex on TV, there's always like some sort of agenda to it. And never yeah. in like the doing of it, never in like the discussions, did it feel like, or here's a little bit of titillation. It was all just like, yeah, these two people, they meet on holiday, they have sex, they realise that they live opposite each other, they do it again, and then they do it again. Like, it's really kind of pure, I think. But yeah, um, yeah I just had an, um, an amazing time on it. And it was a great, a really special group of of people. And a slow burner, like, you know, we had no press for it. It was a real yeah. word of mouth kind of thing. Yeah, so. I just got it word of mouth. Yeah. And, and just before we move in, um, your husband in it, Played by Jack Fox. Yes. His, his body made me uh, buy a rowing machine. G- genuinely, I went out and bought a rowing machine because of cheaters. Because <laughs> that show, that torso, it made yeah. He, he needs he needs kickbacks on that shit because it was a great advert for rowing machines. I'm gonna make sure. I'm going to text him after this and let him know. I need make yeah. Sure he knows. Jack's, a, Jack's an absolute 
he's an absolute sport, an absolute darling. And that, I think, I think his part was the, the most difficult because, you know, yeah. that episode with the bars, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's hard to pull yeah, off. Yeah. Hard to pull off yeah. in a way that is funny, but also really like heartbreaking and very confusing. Yeah. He plays it brilliantly. Yeah. But yeah, he does also have like the... Mo- I mean, imagine, okay, imagine doing scenes with that. Like, that's not fair. But again, that's what was beautiful. I thought all of it, I thought every sex scene was so sexy even though it wasn't yeah it was a comedy show it was do you know what I mean it was one of those shows that just sat where it sat it, sat it wasn't comedy it, sat. it wasn't drama it wasn't salacious I yeah. thought everything just yeah it felt so real but we're gonna move on because yeah. it's getting too steamy in here <laughs> um I, I want to talk I do one of the things that has been on my list to talk to you about is writing and directing yes. and all of these things because as soon as I saw you talking about that a few years back it's been something I'm fascinated about because mm. I love that so much of that goes on out of the public eye. Yes, yes. Um, but before we get to that, I want to talk about s- stage and mm. theatre. You've got a history in theatre, right? And I now do. this is kind of a return to, a, 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 to it. So talk to me a little bit about it all, about your love of theatre and what's drawn you back, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I went to drama school. We train predominantly in theatre. We do yeah. all the all the Shakespeare and we do Chekhov and we do all of that stuff. Um, for three years. So my kind of relationship with acting has been theatre. And I think that when I left drama school, I thought, oh, I'll do, I'll do plays. I'll do like little plays and all of that. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what I thought would happen. And then sort of comedy, TV comedy was the thing that kind of opened its doors to me. So, but I've always, I've always hoped that I'd be the kind of actor that could do both. I could, you know, do a play here, do screen. That would be like the ideal. Because also I do think that something like stage takes a lot of nerve. And if mm-hmm. you don't use it, you do lose it. Like it really right. just even That's interesting. how you use your voice, how you use your body, how you, it's like a lot of maintenance. And if you don't have that, even just not, not even just that, but like your relationship and how you play with an audience, how you feel an audience. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you're not practicing that, you do, I think you lose it. So I've always been lucky, but I, I started to feel a couple of years ago that I wasn't really getting the opportunities in theatre. And again, like, you know, a lot of the really exciting, brilliant stuff are kind of trusted to the same people, which does mm-hmm. happen with TV and film, but I think less so. I think that, you know, theatre is, is a lot smaller. Theatre is a lot more risk. And I just didn't feel... I felt like I was trying to make, <laughs> to, to quote Mean Girls, I felt like I was trying to make Fetch happen when it came to yeah. theatre. You know, we just like, just allow it, yeah. just allow it. And I actually yeah. had, I actually had an experience um, a few years ago where I auditioned for a part at a major theatre and in the breakdown it said that the part had to be like funny, comedic, the actress with strong mm. comedic skills. And so um, I auditioned for it and, and met the director and met everybody. And then, um, and I was sort of kept waiting for ages. And then the feedback, and this hurt, I'll be really transparent, this really hurt, the feedback from the director. And now that I am a director, I know that even if you think something, you don't need to let the actor via their reps yeah. know. You can just be like, thank you so much. It went a different way, but inside you're like, oh no, they were terrible. Like, like you don't yeah. have to. So you the, can give feedback in the right way. In the right way. So the fact that I was told this means that mm-hmm. I think I was meant to know. And mm-hmm. uh, the feedback was, no, we've gone a different way. Susan is just a comedic actress. Right. She just yeah. does comedy. 
And I was so yeah. hurt and so was my agent actually really angry because it's like it's acting, it's performance, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. And to sort of be kind of simplified in that way was really, really hurtful. And so th- I think that was like a real point where I was like, oh, no, I don't really want to do this. But funny enough, straight after that, I played Bottom in Midsummer Night's Dream, mm-hmm. which is like ultimate comedy. And actually doing that was an uh, absolutely unbelievable experience and made me go, no, comedy has merit. Comedy is hard. Anyone can absolutely. cry. Anyone can cry yeah. looking out of a window, looking sad. Doing comedy is hard. And it actually made me go, do you know what? I'm not ashamed of what of my career. That director is wrong. And it actually really spurred me in the writing of my film because, you know, deciding whether it was going to be more comedic or have comedy in it. And I was like, no, comedy for me, the reason why I think it opened it opened up to me is because it's something that is inherently important to me and a survival and like at the core mm. of me. So, but I was a bit like, is all snobby. So <laughs> I decided that I wouldn't do theatre for a little while. And then Deborah, who is one of my closest friends, who I've co-hosted Guilty Feminist podcast with, she was always like, I really want to write something for you. I have this play. And I was like, cool, 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 cool. And then just before lockdown, we did like a just a reading, just us and some other actors. And never have I ever, the play that I'm re- in rehearsals with, it's unbelievable because it's yeah. funny. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. It's immediate. It's talking about the world right now, the things that we're all screaming and arguing about. So, like, to be a part of something that felt urgent but also funny, all those components, I was just like, I'm out of retirement, guys. Didn't really, Love wasn't it. the shortest retirement you've ever yeah. seen. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's it's been amazing. So the play is about... Two couples, a couple called Kaz and Jack, played by Alexandra Roach, who's one of my oldest friends, and um, Amit Shah, and another couple played by Greg Wise and myself. And um, Amit and Alex's characters invite us over for dinner. They have to announce that their restaurant that we're having this dinner in is going bankrupt. My husband, Greg, um, has invested loads of money, so that's all gone. So, um, and then over the course of the night, we end up playing the drinking game, Never Have I Ever. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, like lots of stuff happens, lots of secrets come to light. And it's very much like who's afraid of Virginia Woolf, just a lot more laughs. Mm. So it's very intense. It's all one setting. It's people just like going for each other. It's extremely wordy. It's literally everything I've never done. (laughs) So, yeah. And also, you know, you go where you wanted. Deborah is one of my closest friends and I want to work with my pals <laughs> if yeah. I can if I can somehow make that work 100% I'm so excited for it like seeing the two of you work together as well because I think you're both so good at speaking on or addressing big subjects but in a really relatable and I don't know I think there's a lot of particularly men mm-hmm. who are scared to hear about feminism or or the mess that men have made of the world kind of thing i'm not one of them i can just kind of yeah it's fucking clear as day but i think you two are particularly great at speaking on it and being as brutally honest and truthful as 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 you have to be Mm. but not feeling like it's i've never listened to guilty feminism felt attacked or targeted as a man or uncomfortable to listen as a man and things like that and again, I think that is a real skill. I think yeah. I, I've got certain subjects that 
I can't speak on because mm. <laughs> I'm so passionately against the people on the other side yeah. of it that it's not going to help anything. Yeah. I'm just like, let's string them all up and burn them because they're fucking <laughs> terrible. It's like, it's yeah. best. I'm not helping the cause here by yeah. me talking on yeah. this. So, but I think you guys are so good at that. And it makes me, and that's in casual, unscripted conversation. Yeah. So the yeah. buzz of what you guys can create and the levels and layers in, in a piece when it's scripted and planned and, and yeah. rehearsed well, on end, Deb's, it's a buzz. I think Deb's, the reason why Deb's does that so amazingly with the podcast and, and in this rehearsal is because at her core, she's an improviser. Mm. She's an improviser. Mm. And that is life. You yeah. improvise life. New things come new terms, new terminologies, new things that are right and new things that are wrong. And Debs is somebody who isn't afraid of newness. And I think that, you know, to simplify all the problems in the world right now, there's just such a fear of change. Debs yeah. is not afraid of change. She's not afraid mm. also of people catching up to change slowly. She's like that at her core, I think, is why she's so brilliant is that she's always so alive mm. to people and she always and she always sees the best in people much so I mean our conversation much more than me she'll be like no I see the best in people I'm like no something like you I'm like string some of them up <laughs> yeah, 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 but yeah. she's like the best improviser I think that is at the core of why she's so brilliant and even in the room you know this is her play these are her words but she'll chopping and changing things and going okay she understands that there is emotion into doing, there's reading it and it's, mm. you know, pretty words, but there's the doing of it. And she's so collaborative and so doesn't, she knows her importance, but doesn't center herself. It's like, it's been, I, I knew all of this about Debs, but like seeing her in this space has been like, honestly, just, yeah, really a real revelation and easy. Mm. Yeah. But she's, she's always been a hero of mine. And I think that, you know, she's somebody who, you know, I hear about feminism. I hear about, you know, podcasts, Feminism and podcast makes me sort of twitch a little bit, or it did anyway, because you're just like, oh gosh, it's just like loads of people just, you know, quoting the same old books and it feels yeah, so yeah, outside yeah. of me and all of that stuff. And yeah, it's being in that space is never, ever like that. And it's so easy for something to be so successful to then be sort of watered down. And she's never, ever done that. So yeah, it's been amazing to kind of transfer our our friendship into, into this setting, which has been, yeah, really fun. I love that. And I love hearing of those artistic spaces that w one of the first acting gigs I did, the lead in it was a huge name. Mm. And I was blown away to see that they worked every single day on set mm. as best idea wins. Yes. You know, if there was ever anything that wasn't working, like there was points and it was this big BBC show and there was points where I'm being asked my opinion on a mm -hmm. scene and I'm like, this is my third acting gig. Yeah. Why the fuck am I being asked? And I'd put some ideas forward and best idea would win. There best was points where the script script got changed in in the way I felt it would work mm -hmm. best. There was times it would go in the way the, the script editor or if mm -hmm. the writer was on set, all these different things and stuff like that. To see that in these situations is just so exciting and, and positive because it is the removal of ego. It yeah. comes down as sim simple as that. With Deborah has written this and slaved over it. So yeah. a lot of theatre um, people would be very much, no, this is the do as I've created yeah. it. This is what I've created. But yeah. it, I, I think it's the role of... And I want to also just comment on that shit director. Your role as an actor is to find the character. Yeah. It's the writer and director who decide if it's comedy or if it's drama mm -hmm. or, or whatever else. And you're amazing at finding the characters. 
so to say you're just a comedy actor it's like well that's obviously what you saw on the page or or whatever else so it's yeah, yeah it's it's ignorance there but i love that the actor's job the writer's job is to overlook all of the characters mm-hmm. and all of the action and everything going on the actor's yeah. job is to just find your character's action so obviously there's a good chance you're going to have some good input yeah. and some good ideas because you, you're going to be able to go deeper than the than the writer may have been on that specific aspect. So and, and also I, you've I got al- to welcome that. Yeah, and I, all, I all always say that the best writers, the best directors are or have been performers because they mm. understand the doing of it. I've met some yeah. brilliant, brilliant writers, worked for some brilliant writers who are so obsessed with the kind of flowery, you know, kind of metaphors and all of this, all of this yeah. stuff. And then you go, great, oh, my God, like, beautiful. But, like, people don't speak like that. Yes. And uh, unless yeah. that's the point, because there's, there's yeah, yeah, theatre and there's TV, which is great. as well, yeah. Because also I got um, some of the best bits. Of, well, one of my most treasured pieces of advice was um, – from an actor called Tom Beard, who's, um, he passed away a few years ago. And I was in a play, I was in his final play at the National. And I remember, I can't remember what it was, I was having some sort of difficult, and I don't think I was having a difficulty actually, we were just talking. And I always used to ask his opinion because he just was like the soundest, the soundest dude. You know, like when you meet someone, you're like, you've got your priorities. Yeah sorted you you take the work seriously but don't take yourself too seriously he he was the epitome of that and I remember he said he said you know Suze what you've got to remember what you've got to remember is you should always know the play you're in he's like that goes for tv film doesn't matter so if you're in a farce comedy farce on stage don't play it like you're Hamlet if you're mm. doing Hamlet, don't play it like it's a farce. Like, know yeah. what you're in. And what that means is that you know what is needed in that space. So, for instance, we're having a really lovely time because there's so many elements of comedy. But if we were all there screaming about, you know, if we were doing Medea and would screaming about our children, you're not going to be in a corner sort of laughing and giggling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, have yeah, for yeah, yeah, know yeah, what you agree to do and know what you create. And I always, that's why that comment from that director was really weird because I was like, but I, I played this I played this world and it's, it's something I've even taken into like my life it's kind of like know where you're at know where you're in know what mm. and know that it changes so yeah. the idea of sort of coming in and going this is how it is it's like it's gonna that thing is gonna be affected by all the other people that have decided to leave their homes and their families to come and you know do some shoot in the middle of nowhere that's freezing cold that yeah. you have to bear yeah. that in mind otherwise you just do one person shows where no one watches them and then you'd be happy but no yeah. one wants that because yeah. we're all little yeah. show-offs <laughs> yeah exactly i love it though that's again it's such a beautiful outlook and as you say it's that you know when you meet someone that seems to have it figured out yeah. you know when you do that gig with someone i hope you can observe that in yourself as well because again it's <laughs> it's beautiful to see that it's like right i've i've got it now for like for for, know, for what I need at the moment, I've got this for now. Well, I mean, before we start to wrap things up, mm. I want to talk a little bit about writing yeah. and directing. Because as said, I saw you post something about it at some point, or there yeah. was a news article or yes. something, and it was it's it's it it was exciting news. I know like you wrote a little bit on again, another friend of the podcast, Ramesh Ranganathan's yeah. uh The Reluctant Landlord. I love Ramesh. I think he's yeah. he's one of the the best out there. 
what's been your journey with writing yeah. and how are you feeling about the directing mm-hmm. or you know all that's ahead yeah uh with writing my journey's been really slow it's been a really mm. slow process I got my first commission in 2016 but it's it's not been slow because I've been trying to get things made it's been slow because I've been trying to figure out what on earth I want to write about so I think that Definitely my first commission was off the back of, so I think I was filming Crazy Head at the time. So it was definitely off the back of Chewing Gum. So I felt, mm. I felt that people just wanted something that was very London, very poppy, very Chewing Gum-esque, quite mm. broad, quite broad comedy. And I sort of went down that path with this one particular story a little bit. And then I got bored because I can't read, writing is a lot of work and I can't mm. really commit to something if I don't feel passionate like passionately about it you've got to be in love with it you, you've got to be excited to get into that world yeah I think that's absolutely key on these things and I just got bored and so that yeah. sort of ground to a halt but also as well like I learned because around that time there was a lot of writer performers that was like the thing particularly mm-hmm. when it came to women and so mm-hmm. I remember kind of feeling a, a certain degree of guilt or going oh gosh you know I'm only here because of Phoebe Phoebe Waller-Bridge who I love and who is mm-hmm. a friend but I remember my mate, Abby um, Ajayi, who's a, a screenwriter, she was like, babes, follow the green lights. If they're saying we would like to give you a commission and you're not that crazy about the story, take the money and learn. Learn what you want to say. Learn what you want to contribute. And I also wanted writing to not be like acting. Acting for me definitely then was like the day job. You go in, you do that, you da 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 you're flexible and all of that. Whereas with writing, I thought, if I'm going to sit down, it has to be what I want. But Mm. because of the way that my brain works, I'm like, let me just double check. So what I did for a few years, (laughs) after that commission I got bored with, I signed to a new literary agent and we started doing rooms. So I started being in writer's rooms. And because I wanted to see, because I have a lot of writer friends who are jobbing writers. They write on different rooms, on different shows and all that sort of stuff. And I wanted to see whether I could be that. So I was in the writer's room for sex education. I was in the writer's room with Romesh's show, which I ended up doing an episode of. And I think maybe there was one other one. And they were all varying, like, experiences. But I ultimately came away from it going, yeah, that's not for me. I want to write my own stories. I think that's the only thing I kind of want to touch. And so my literary agent was really supportive of that. She was just like, brilliant. Okay, like, what's the story then? What is the story and what is that format? And having done so much TV, I was just like, do you know what, Kathy, Kathy, um, I just want to tell a story beginning, middle, end and bounce. Mm-hmm. Beginning, middle, end, deliver it and piss off. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And then yeah. that's how, because then you birth something. Which is hard to tell someone at the moment because there's so much demand for TV um, in, 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 in all formats. Oh, oh my gosh. The moment that I said, oh, God, I want to write a film, everybody I knew was like, but people don't make films. Yeah. I was like, but they do because I, I watch them. Someone does. Yeah. There's somebody out there making like films. So it must happen. Yeah. But I remember speaking to a few producers who all just went, oh, Susan, don't, don't, don't make a film. Amount, it's so slow. Susan, <laughs> amount of conversations I've had where people are like, oh, we love this film idea could it be a series maybe and I'm like no it's a film yeah. like I've got some ideas that are a series but they're for later yeah yeah this is a film if you love this idea then it's this and it's yeah. so hard if I've no had that with sh- shorts as well I wrote a few shorts that got some hype and 
I didn't write them as proof of concept. Yeah. I wrote them as their own stories. Yeah. It's like, well, no, that was what it's meant to be. But yeah. quite rightfully, I understand it. I know there's a business side and an artistic yeah. side. Yeah. People are like, do you think this could be stretched into this or that? Yeah. I'm like, no. no, I don't want to stretch anything. I want it to be its own piece of art. That's what it is. I did a short film, which was like my first written thing that aired on TV, which was a short film called Love for Sinner, which is about um, a young girl who uh, experiences her mother grieving for Princess Diana. So we all know that Mm. the grieving for Princess Diana was like (laughs) no level. And if you were in a West African household, like it was lockdown in our house. Like my mum was, like we didn't, we barely got fed because my mum was too busy grieving for Princess Diana. So I remember when I got approached to do this, they called it like the Sky comedy shorts and I really I was excited about creating something beginning middle and end so we did it and it did really well we like me and Jen Sheridan is one of my really close friends we delivered it to loads of festivals it got into London Film Festival got long listed for a biffa it sort of it did more than what the spec of a a, a sky comedy short needed to do yeah which I wanted so we me and Jen were sort of like in cahoots knowing that we wanted it to sort of festivals and then I remember then sitting down with our producer and uh you know the production company going okay how do we like make this into a tv series and I was like oh oh no no this no. is it this is no. where I jump off and I yeah. leave the story but they're like oh but there are all these vivid characters and I was like oh no that's it that's it that's I've got yeah. no desire to I, sort of I couldn't relate yeah more. yeah and then like but why it did so well and I'm like nah that was just you know but it was that yeah. it was that experience that made me go yeah there's something about creating that work all that hard work and then just giving it away and going yeah. okay what's the next thing which brings me to my film yeah. <laughs> which um I think you saw an announcement I think I, it got announced in 20 oh god when would that been 20 just before lockdown I think there was an announcement of it which is kind of really scary <laughs> when you get yeah. an announcement because you're like I'm writing it <laughs> yeah, developing yeah. it now but I've learned that that's like don't talk about it yet don't, guys don't about it now. but I've now learned that that is often a, a film thing like oh we're in yeah, development yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. so I started writing three weeks putting pen to paper in 2019 but I sort of decided mm-hmm. to go with BBC Films and Dorothy Street Pictures are our producers and uh, and yeah it's been four years four years developing that we obviously had lockdown as well, which was weird yeah. because nothing was being shot, but it sped up the development process for me. Yeah. And so now we're, yeah, we're getting ready to shoot it at the end of the year. I'm now directing it, which wasn't initially the plan, but again, lockdown. Lockdown made yeah. me go, I think I can do this. Lockdown made me realise how much on-set experience I had. been on set since I was 17. Yeah. So I was like, I yeah. think yeah, I it's know. mad, right? Yeah, I think I was like, I think I know a bit. You've seen good direction and you've seen bad direction and they're both equally important, oh I think, as a, as a lesson, you know? So important. And also knowing what, as a performer, what you need. Like, I, I always found myself on set sort of sitting back and watching things happen. This is not to make me sound like I'm some sort of genius because I'm not. but Because I used to have this in school quite a lot. Yeah. Where I would be, I'd be quiet and somebody's trying to work something out. And in my head, I'd work it out, but I wouldn't put my hand up. Yeah. All the time. And I used to think, oh, I should, I should put my hand up. I should, I should put my hand up. And I never did. And I'll find myself doing that. I'll overhear a conversation about scheduling or something like that. And in my head, I'm like, well, if we just shot that then, then that would do that and then that would make the day. Obviously, I would not. <laughs> Hello, guys. I'm an actor. And I've Here's got some a suggestion. Thoughts. Here's a suggestion, yeah. guys. I was like, no. But I would. I found myself constantly going, I think it's, or like, 
a lot of the time, a director giving notes to an actor, an actor not getting it, and me sitting there going, this is, this is what you're trying to say. But just going, oh. I'm, be- I'm, I'm, I'm beaming here because I have exactly yeah. the same. There's been so many things. And when I was shooting a thing during a lockdown, there was a couple of times... I did speak up, mm-hmm. but it was only because it was the right situation yes. and it did solve the problem and and got it. Like there was a particular one where in this scene, I had to be strapped to this table mm. this whole time. I'm being tortured essentially, but because of, this is so dumb for anyone who's not <laughs> been on the set, but because of how long it took to get me out, yeah. I was like, just leave me in here. Yeah. Like rather than, than when you're changing camera angles or whatever it's like there's no point in taking me all the way out yeah. and then I sit down for a minute and then I come back I'm in a seat I'll just chill but it meant I had this all seeing eye yeah. p- perspective of everything that was going on so <laughs> that was one that when there was a problem and I could see that person was just talking about it and if the person who was over there knew what they were saying then you would it would be that. solved so it was the one time I felt comfortable saying because I've been in the middle of it I've all, seen it say, all well I think if you just if they go with that then that will solve that and yeah but I said completely. Other than that, you can't jump in and say. No, you can't. You can't. Hey and I'm guys. super. I'm so <laughs> respectful. But it just yeah. kept over the years. It kept happening. And of course, there are loads of different components to directing. Mm. That's why people go to film school. But you know, in the same way with acting, you don't have to go to drama school, not necessarily. Right. And right. so the main push for me deciding to become actually, uh, it was one of my um, execs who sort of mentioned we have like a script meeting, and she was like you really should think about directing. And I misread it as like, oh, directing this. And she was like, no, directing generally, not this. We want a safe pair of hands for this one. And then I was just like, "Hmm, no, I think it's this. The seed was planted. But I tell you the really cool thing, in my contract, my agents, because, you know, they said, you know, what is the thing? What's the big thing then? What's the thing that you want to create? How can we facilitate that? Shout out to Kathy King and Kate Prentice absolutely boss agents and so what they did because they had a feeling before I had a feeling that I'd want to direct it in my contract it says that I get first refusal to direct so when it all sort of happened when it all started happening Kate and Kathy were like ha 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 we knew we knew you wanted to do it (laughs) which is amazing and so there was a lot of reasons why I felt like I was the best person to tell this story. I felt like I was somebody, you know, best idea wins. One of the other really amazing bits of advice I was given was never be the cleverest person in the room. Mm-hmm. My history, my background is ensemble. It's the gang together creating something. Oh, I was going to say, you will have seen how collaborative good TV and film is. Yeah. So it's not, you don't have to know everything because no. you've you've picked this dope DOP and you've picked you've got this amazing second and third and all these different you know that's why those jobs exist if i knew how to if a director knew how to do absolutely everything they just do it it's less people that you have to communicate and and translate to there's a reason why there's a gaffer like because Mm. they know the the most about it about lighting but also i'm the kind of person who's very very nosy so i have gone away and like done some done some studying because i'm a capricorn and we love to study but um one of the other reasons, apart from just feeling like I was the right person to tell this story, feeling like I was capable, feeling like I had the experience, feeling like I was collaborative enough to b- work with people, knowing that I was a really good communicator, all those things, was I felt like there was some healing to be done in terms mm-hmm. of like past experiences. And what I thought of were, was um, uh, a quote unquote leader. So in my head, directors, you know, in, you know, wrongly, 
They look a certain way. They sound a certain way. They went to a certain school. They have a certain kind of attitude. And I remember I was actually working during lockdown, working with, she's, I don't know how to describe it, this amazing woman who's like a creative leadership coach, I guess. We had like Mm -hmm. a few sessions on Zoom when Zoom was just a new thing. And we talked about leadership. And I was like, look, I feel this calling to direct this film, but I don't feel like I have the minerals. I don't feel like... I'm ruthless enough. I feel like I'm too sensitive. These are the things that make me good at acting, but I don't think they translate. I don't think I'm, you know, hard-lined and all those things that I'd seen exhibited to me as like what leadership is. And, you know, sometimes it's on a spectrum, but I've had all the spectrums. I've had somebody who's a little bit blunt and I've had someone who's, you know, like quite a few people, outright bullying, outright just Mm -hmm. awfulness by people who are show running and, and whatnot. And so I think those awful experiences made me go, well, that would never be me. And then just working with her, she was like, okay, so talk about the experiences that were brilliant, useful, conductive. And so I talk about those projects. And she was like, okay, describe what all those directors or producers were like. And I would describe them. And she'd go, well, don't they sound like you in terms of their temperament, in terms of how they communicate? I was like, yeah. She's like, well, so why can't you do that? And I was like, she created a monster. (laughs) I love it. I love it. And as you say, I also think all of it's about the right team and everything as well. I was really, again, I'm lucky to have had some experiences that, like, I'm, I'll always remember our second ever music video, the, the, the directed by an amazing guy called Nick Frew, but mm. who's very artistic and flowery with his language. Mm. His AD at the start of that said, look, it's a one-day shoot, but we're wrapping at nine. I'd like to invite you all to the pub now and I'll buy you all a drink because by then you're probably going to hate me because mm. I need to get this done. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to be the one that's just cutting in yeah, and saying, no, yeah, yeah, we need yeah. to do this. And yeah. again, they they were a perfect pairing because there was one who was just the, loved the art of it all. And one who was like, oh, we need to be moving on. Have yeah. we got it? Yeah. Have we got it? If we've not, how are we getting it? Kind yeah. of just to be that goes. And again, it's saying that simple combination early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just maybe go, all right, it's all about what works together. What works together and collaboration and finding your team and all the people, again, also all the people that we sort of went over that I admired, they had their teams, they had their collaborators, they welcome new collaborators. And that's what I think, yeah, that's what I'm hoping to to create when I I finally film this thing um, at the end of the year. Yeah. I love it. Well, I'm very excited and I'm going to let you get back to all of the excitement, but it's been a bloody joy Yay. again. You know, we've spoken twice in s- six years. Six yeah, years, I feel, oh my God. <laughs> I feel great knowledge of you and, and, and connection. So it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. I appreciate you taking the time no, as it's beautiful. so hectic as well. No, it's been great. Really lovely to sort of revisit. So in six years time, we'll do it again. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do it again. We'll do it again then. <laughs> Perfect. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. What did I tell you about that being a beautiful conversation and episode? I was so pleased with everything we talked about. With I'm just in awe of this woman. Just absolutely astounding human and professional and talent. Yeah, I'll be back next week with more glorious humans, as you can imagine. Uh, until then... 
support in all the ways I've listed in, in the intro. Twitch, again, just or even on Twitch, just go and fill your boots. You, you don't have to spend anything there. But as said, there's things in the music section on the video collections. There's l- live gigs. Uh, there's me going through collections of acapellas. There's all sorts of cool stuff, and it's all free and archived up there. And if you get into that, you might want to catch a few of the live streams anyway oh actually before i go before i go before i go if you've got to the end of this and at the start you were thinking i need to go back and listen to that episode with the first episode with susie in 2017 or i need to go and listen to both episodes with michaela cole or i need to go and listen to each time papa Do was on or or stephen graham who's, who's been on three times i think now any of these wonderful actors stars legends go and dig into the back catalogue rather than scrolling on onto the next podcast on your list make it a distraction pieces day all right okay all right right until then until next week stay safe and stay sane ta-ta